0: to today's episode of the MisoTV Podcast. In today's episode, we explore a new immunotherapy clinical trial for peritoneal mesothelioma. We are joined by Dr. Aaron Mansfield, a medical oncologist at the Mayo Clinic. MesoTV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bella & Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Nelvacure, Merck, The Gorey Law Firm, and Early, Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Meisenkothen.
1: Hi, Dr. Mansfield. Thanks for being on this Meso TV with me. Um, I'll just have you introduce yourself real fast. I know you've been on other episodes as well, but um, just give us a little background of yourself and where you're at.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me back. I'm Aaron Mansfield. I'm a medical oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank
1: you. And we're here today, we're gonna talk about a peritoneal um, clinical trial that you're heading up. Um, And I kind of wanted to start with um, why this is so important and a little bit about um, peritoneal mesothelioma because it is so rare and there are limited trials out there about it.
2: Yeah, this trial has been a labor of love. It's been in development for about four years. Uh, between the cooperative group and the National Cancer Institute, and it just recently uh, has been activated, received central IRB approval. So the uh, purpose of having this is we have so little prospective data available for peritoneal mesothelioma. So much of what we do for the disease is extrapolated from what we do for pleural mesothelioma, uh, single institution case series, and we have very, again, very little prospective or randomized data. A number of trials for pleural mesothelioma don't include patients with peritoneal mesothelioma. Uh, some of them do. Uh, some of those have been negative, so they haven't changed practice per se. Uh, and we often don't get a great subgroup analysis. So, anyways, the point is, I've see these patients, I try to figure out what to do with them. And I feel like there's this wide open field and I don't know where the signposts are. So this was, uh, again, an effort of four years to try to bring some evidence to what the best management is for these patients. And being a medical oncologist, uh, that perspective is for what's the best with systemic therapy. And what should we be offering to them?
1: And right now um, in the peritoneal space, there is not really a standard of care, correct?
2: Well, again, we extrapolate from pleural mesothelioma and we also work with our colleagues in surgery. So we rely on their surgical opinion to help us determine, uh, can this patient go to surgery or not? And then if not, then we're reliant upon what we do for pleural mesothelioma to guide uh, what we recommend. Sometimes our surgeons will say, well, we might be able to operate, but can you shrink this down a little bit? And then we have to decide between chemotherapy or the newly approved immunotherapy for pleural mesothelioma to help make that
1: assessment. Perfect. Um, As far as the trial goes, it is a randomized, it's a phase two randomized trial. Can you just talk a little bit about what phase two means?
2: Yeah, so um, I, I may answer that by starting with phase one. Uh, Most phase one trials have a goal of establishing the safety of a drug or a combination or the safety of a certain regimen within a disease. So we we know patients with peritoneal mesothelioma get platinum-based therapy uh, and have had immunotherapy and have tolerated it. So we don't think we need to do that basic type of phase one study. So phase two studies, uh, they come in different flavors. But the goal of those is to really get a sense of whether a treatment is effective or not. Some of them are randomized. Others are not. Even though this one is randomized, all patients get therapy. Okay. Um, most people would argue that a platinum-based therapy is the standard of care for peritoneal mesothelioma, and that is offered to everyone. Now, half the patients will also get immunotherapy with that chemotherapy. And what we're trying to do is see uh, whether or not that improves responses to our treatments. So that's the key here. We're adding one thing to what the standard is and seeing if there's a difference in responses uh, between those who do and don't get that additional immunotherapy on top of the standard.
1: Wonderful. And the other um, really good thing to point out with this study is that you can be surgical or non-surgical, correct?
2: Exactly. This uh, variant of mesothelioma, I, I, I'm sure to viewers of the foundation, it may seem common, but uh, this is actually a rare variant of a rare disease. And, and with that being said, we tried to design the trial to uh, incorporate anyone, be it surgical or not. Um, it, it, its uh, We just wanted to try to, again, maximize uh, who could go on to the study, whether or not they're surgical candidates.
1: Wonderful. And I wanted to break down the ARMS a little bit of the actual trial for um, any patients that may be watching this and maybe thinking about um, entering the trial. So I was gonna start with, um, it's actually ARM2, which is the um, arm that has the chemotherapy in it, but no immunotherapy. Um, and within that, there is a surgical and a non-surgical, um, and they get a platinum base, a and then also a bastin correct 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 okay and they get four cycles of that correct and then after the four cycles um if you could explain kind of what mm-hmm. happens between the difference if you're surgical or non-surgical
2: yep so after so that backbone we think would be a, an accepted standard to give um, we we've, it's been in the guidelines for pleural disease the maps trial for, uh, conducted in France helped uh, create this regimen. So yep patients would get these four cycles we would get imaging to see their response and if they are surgical candidates they could then go to surgery. Uh, Once they recover from surgery, they would be observed with imaging to uh, look for recurrence and uh, other things that way. If they are not surgical candidates, they can then proceed with maintenance therapy. And for this arm, it's a little unique where um, the treating physician can either give maintenance bevacizumab, very similar to the original clinical trial that uh, showed benefit to this regimen. We would drop the carboplatin and pemetrexid, and they could give um, bevacizumab, the anti-VEGF drug, or they could switch to the immunotherapy because that had not been given. So that's really at the discretion of the treating physician. Because if there is a response, uh, with the three drugs without the immunotherapy, you might be able to maintain that with the bevacizumab and switch to an immunotherapy later. If okay. not, um, then that um, immunotherapy would be an option. So this way, there, there's still um, a treatment options for patients uh, to consider, even if they're not surgical candidates. Mm.
1: Perfect. And then the experimental arm, um, they get four cycles up front of the platinum the olympta, the bevacizumab, and then um, the added immunotherapy. Correct. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about um, how those break down if you're surgical or non-surgical? Yeah,
2: yeah, very similarly. After those four cycles, uh, we get the imaging and the surgeons would uh, decide uh, can they operate or not. Um, i'm not allowed to play a sharp object so i don't get to make that determination that the surgeons get to but what once they if they do make the determination that the patient can go to surgery they they would do so and then similar to the other arm after that point these patients would be observed they will have already been treated with chemotherapy and immunotherapy they may even receive high uh, at, at the completion of the surgery and then we would let them recover from surgery and enter an observation phase where we're doing uh, imaging based monitoring and physical examinations. For the patients who are not surgical candidates based on the extent of disease or the subtype of disease, uh, they could then proceed with maintenance therapy with immunotherapy and bevacizumab.
1: So they'll get both um, of those if they're non-surgical um, in the, in the um, after the four cycles.
2: As long as there's not been toxicity with one. Uh, so if there is toxicity we, um, that the investigator may hold one of those drugs. So I just don't want to say everyone sure. gets, but yep. um, that there's a possibility of, of that. Okay,
1: okay perfect. And um, I know uh, we had just talked about this, but as far as the the surgical aspect goes, Mm -hmm. um, who does perform the surgeries for these patients?
2: Yep, so uh, there are a handful of surgeons who specialize in the resection of peritoneal mesothelioma. Uh, They're primarily at the larger academic centers. Um, For this trial, most patients would be expected to get the chemotherapy and the surgery at the same site. that The medical oncologist would be giving the systemic therapy, and then the uh, s- surgeons uh, that, that partner with those oncologists would, would then be operating.
1: Wonderful. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the primary outcome of the study. What are you guys looking for um, as far as the study goes?
2: Yeah, so there's a few things uh, to consider here. Because we're allowing patients who are and are not surgical candidates, that's rather unique to this study. It's been something we've debated a lot within the cooperative group and at the uh, National Cancer Institute's uh, CTAP. Um, Because of that, we have to use response rate as our primary endpoint. So we're really looking at uh, does this regimen improve how many patients have tumors that shrink a certain amount or more uh, by, by getting this regimen. So um, we can't because we're incorporating different groups and on average patients who are able to go to surgery typically do better looking at progression-free survival or overall survival are not the primary endpoints in this study. We're really getting a sense at do we get better responses than uh, by adding immunotherapy than by not adding it.
1: Okay, perfect. And um, inclusion criteria, I wanted to touch a little bit on some of the bigger ones. Um, Yeah that are in there. Um, So no prior treatment um, is one of those. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So we're trying to capture patients who are newly diagnosed with this disease. Um, It's a little tough to take patients second or third line or after surgery. Um, They may have already received chemotherapy or immunotherapy. So we're, since there's so little evidence out there for what to do here. We've taken the, what we believe is an accepted frontline regimen uh, and have added immuno to it. So we're really trying to get a sense of whether they work. And if someone's already had one or both of those drugs, we really won't be able to assess that. They may, there may be resistance to uh, uh, one of the drugs we're we're administering.
1: Okay. And then also performance status. Um, I did notice that, um, you know, that was something that they wanted to be somewhere between zero and one. Can you just kind of say what zero to one is for any patients that may be wondering?
2: Yeah, so um, a performance status of zero pretty much means that your cancer, you may not have known it unless we incidentally discovered it and we we told (sighs) you it was there. Um, for someone with a performance status of one, there may be some limitations to your normal activities. Maybe there's some pain or change in appetite or things that way, but it may not limit your function that much. Um, three and four are, are some of the higher numbers, but that's uh, those are for patients who aren't getting out of bed much at all because the cancer has really limited uh, their activities. So, Most clinical trials require that patients be more functional and not severely debilitated by their disease.
1: And then I also did see that um, no active history of autoimmune disease um, or immunodeficiency as well. I also didn't know if you wanted to touch on any of the other um, inclusion criteria just so that uh, patients are aware.
2: Yeah, so the um, autoimmunity is really important. There, There are some rare exceptions, but, uh, because this trial does involve an immunotherapy, um, when someone has an autoimmune condition, the the immunotherapy has a chance to significantly worsen it. So uh, most trials with immunotherapy do not allow patients with severe autoimmune or, or uh, some some degree of autoimmunity to come onto them. Now we're we're still trying to tease out which autoimmune conditions. Um, uh, you know, wouldn't preclude the use of immunotherapy, but this trial is sort of in line with the other ones out there right now, where uh, th- those patients are unfortunately excluded from, from participation.
1: And I wanted to um, also get your insight a little bit um, on the actual immunotherapy that you're yeah. using. I know that patients are going to wonder a little bit about the side effect profile of it um and also kind of how it works um it is a pdl1 as well um if you could just sort of update us a little bit on what that means um yeah. and why this was cho- why this immunotherapy was chosen
2: yeah so we are using atezolizumab it, it is a generic name uh, the brand name is centric. Uh, this is made by Genentech. Um, it's a PDL1 inhibitor. It's been FDA approved for other indications um, like small cell lung cancer and non small cell lung cancer, where we've seen it has activity in, in other malignancies. So we know it's an active drug. Um, it binds to PDL1, as you mentioned. Uh, the other end is pd1 so drugs like pembrolizumab and nivolumab bind to uh, pd1 so um but pd1 and pdl1 when they bind it, it inhibits the t cells from functioning so we are trying to disrupt that and you could either disrupt it by making an antibody that targets pdl1 on the tumor cells or pd1 on the uh, lymphocytes the t cells so I'm really agnostic as to which end we target. We see it works in other malignancies to target either of them. There may be some nuances in terms of uh, adverse events and whatnot. But I do think we've seen lots of efficacy across multiple tumor types with either approach. So um, I, I'm thrilled that we have a pharmaceutical company sponsoring the trial and providing the drug. I, I'd honestly be OK uh, if this were a PD-1 inhibitor instead of a pdl one inhibitor. But at the same time, we have seen success in plural mesothelioma. Uh, with, with some of these drugs, um, not, not FDA approved, but just uh, we, we do know there can be activity with the PDL1 inhibitor. Um, so I, I again, um, it, everyone has to get the same one for the purpose of the trial. I'm yes. not certain there's a clear differentiator yet that PD1 or PDL1 inhibition would be superior. Uh, I think they both can work. Hmm.
1: And both of those um, on the immunotherapy side, they both cause your um, immune system to be at a heightened state. I mean, the goal is that your own immune system is going to then recognize the cancer cells and hopefully attack them. Um, And I know in kind of uh, terms that are easy for patients to remember, um, as a nurse, we used to always say, uh, for side effects or adverse events, it's the itises or the isms. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about just sort of the adverse event profile of that, of t- t- centric?
2: Yeah, as you said, uh, these drugs can heighten the immune system. Um, y- you hear different metaphors. Um, I I think that these drugs disinhibit the immune system, so to speak, because what we believe that their function has been inhibited by the tumor. Uh, Some people say it's like cutting the brake line to a car, so it then starts moving. So I was just um, gonna
1: say, no brake pedal then, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so
2: you've cut the brake line and you can pump that pedal, but it it won't stop. (laughs) So with that in mind, uh, the immune system's pretty smart, uh, but it. Uh, when we give a drug like this, we can't always hone the response only to the tumor and not other parts of the body. So sometimes uh, the the, the immune cells that we've cut the brake line for are disinhibited or heightened. uh, They can then attack the skin and the thyroid. Those are two of the more common side effects we see uh, with these drugs. Uh, So those are common and usually not that severe to deal with, um, with some exceptions. But uh, the less common side effects uh, can be more severe. And those are the ones that keep us up at night. And when the, the immune system attacks the lungs and causes a pneumonitis, these itises you're saying. So when there's an itis in the lungs or the gut, we're, we're dealing with people who might end up in the in- intensive care unit and need to be intubated to help breathe. Or patients who have severe diarrhea because uh, the colon uh, is inflamed. Or if the liver is attacked, uh, the, the, the enzymes we measure in the blood uh, skyrocket, and we have to hold therapy and uh, possibly give steroids or other drugs to try to counter uh, those effects we're seeing. So uh, yeah, you you said the itises, uh, so uh, (laughs) inflammation pretty much from head to toe. uh, We've pretty much seen any itis that that has been reported. We've seen it with these drugs.
1: And the big thing is uh, for these patients to know is that um reporting any sort of um difference in status is very important to your healthcare professionals because the earlier that we catch these itises or isms it makes a huge difference on whether or not they can actually stay on drug.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would counsel patients, don't wait till your next visit. If you're yes. uh, more short of breath, if you're having bad diarrhea, you, you, your team needs to know this so they can see you and help you out. Wait, waiting two weeks, if that's how much later your appointment is, is not a good strategy.
1: Yes, we used to often see patients that tried to power through, but with the immunotherapies, you don't want to power through. You want I to get completely. help. Yes. I <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you want to tell us about this trial? It's very exciting, especially in this space um, that we just don't have a lot of data on. Um, is there a certain amount of patients that you're trying to recruit, um, or are we just uh, seeing where this goes? I know, um, you know, with the coronavirus and all of that, we've had a lower recruitment status, but hopefully things will be picking back up.
2: Yeah, I think the pandemic's really affected uh, clinical trial activation, accruals, uh, but even though the pandemic is a huge concern and uh, we're trying to work around that, we still need to think about our our patients with mesothelioma and other cancers and move the needle forward to figure out the best treatments for them. So um, this trial, it, it just opened, so our site and others are starting to activate it, so um, as of today of the recording, it's not available this second, but at, at, at the Mayo Clinic system, it will be soon, and other sites are coming on board, too. So the, the hope is uh, end of 2021 or early January, we start seeing uh, the trial be made available um, to, to, to patients around the country. Um, the goal is to accrue just over 60 patients, and it, that would mean 30 about 30 in each of the arms, Um when, when we have trials open, there's um, analyses to make sure they're meeting accrual goals. And if not, um, trials may get shut down, but it, it's a rare variant of a rare disease. It took a long time to, um, to develop and bring to this stage. So the hope is we uh, can accrue to this in just a two to three year period and uh, provide the community with data to see if this is an approach uh, we should be offering our patients, so.
1: Great, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate that you came on today for us to tell us about this and hopefully uh, we can get this trial up and running and um, get some patients into it.
2: Yeah, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you.